the Founding Fathers on Religion, in their own words. A brief disclaimer, I'm sure that when devout believers have the following quotations I've selected, I'll undoubtedly be accused of cherry-picking, of trying to characterize the Founding Fathers as being wholly antagonistic to religion. I freely admit that many of the Founding Fathers were religious in their own way, and that some even promoted the merits of organized religion. That being said, my goal here is not to paint the founders of this country as atheists, which generally speaking they certainly were not, but simply to combat the misconception often espoused by the religious right that the United States of America from its inception was a deeply Christian nation founded by deeply Christian men. I suppose it only makes sense to start with General George Washington, Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army and the first President of these United States. Despite being affiliated with the Anglican and then later the Episcopal Church, it's thought that Washington had deistic leanings. It should be mentioned, however, that deism, the belief in a deity with a kind of hands-off approach, who creates and sets into motion a kind of clockwork universe but doesn't intervene in human affairs, would have been compatible with the Episcopalianism of Washington's day. Others argue that Washington would have been more of a theistic rationalist. As shocking as it might sound to the heirs of modern Christians, theistic rationalists rejected core aspects of Christian doctrine, such as the Trinity, original sin, and even the divinity of Christ. However, unlike the deists, theistic rationalists did believe in the intercessory power of prayer. Of all the animosities which have existed among mankind, those which are caused by difference of sentiments in religion appear to be the most inveterate and distressing, and ought most to be deprecated. I was in hopes that the enlightened and liberal policy which marked the present age would at least have reconciled Christians of every denomination, so far as we should, never again see the religious disputes carried to such a pitch as to endanger the peace of society. George Washington, Letter to Edward Newenham, October 20th, 1792. There is nothing which can better deserve our patronage than the promotion of science and literature. Knowledge is in every country the surest basis of public happiness. George Washington, addressed to Congress, January 8th, 1790. Religious controversies are always productive of more acrimony and irreconcilable hatreds than those which spring from any other cause. George Washington, Letter to Sir Edward Newenham, June 22, 1792. The path of true piety is so plain as to require but little political direction. George Washington, 1789, responding to clergy complaints that the Constitution lacked mention of Jesus Christ. From the Godless Constitution, The Case Against Religious Correctness by Isaac Kramnik and R. Lawrence Moore. If there are good workmen, they may be from Asia, Africa, or Europe, they may be Mohammedans, Jews, Christians of any sect, or they may be atheists. George Washington to Tench Tigman, March 24, 1784, when asked what type of workmen to get for Mount Vernon. The Washington Papers, edited by Saul Padover. To give opinions unsupported by reason might appear dogmatical. George Washington to Alexander Spotswood, November 22, 1798, from the Washington Papers. I beg you, be persuaded that no one would be more zealous than myself to establish effectual barriers against the horrors of spiritual tyranny and every species of religious persecution. 
George Washington to the United Baptist Churches of Virginia, May 1789 from the Washington Papers edited by Saul Padova. John Adams, Washington's vice president and the second president of the United States, was religiously speaking a man with a foot in two worlds. He was said to be a devout Christian, the descendant of Puritan ancestors, but also seems to have been influenced by deism and thought that religion should be based on reason and susceptible to change. Thirteen governments of the original states, thus founded on the natural authority of the people alone, without a pretense of miracle or mystery, and which are destined to spread over the northern part of the whole quarter of the globe, in a great point gained in favor of the rights of mankind. John Adams, A Defense of the Constitutions of Government of the United States of America, 1787-88. to As I understand the Christian religion, it was and is a revelation. But how has it happened that millions of fables, tales, legends have been blended with both Jewish and Christian revelation that have made them the most bloody religion that ever existed? John Adams' letter to F.A. Vanderkamp, December 27, 1816. When philosophical reason is clear and certain by intuition or necessary induction, no subsequent revelation supported by prophecies or miracles can supersede it. John Adams from Rufus K. Noves, Views of Religion, quoted from the James A. Hodd edition, 2,000 Years of Disbelief. Indeed, Mr. Jefferson, what could be invented to debase the ancient Christianism which Greeks, Romans, Hebrews, and Christian factions, above all the Catholics, have not fraudulently imposed upon the public? Miracles after miracles have rolled down in torrents. John Adams' Letter to Thomas Jefferson, December 3, 1813. I also shudder at the thought of alluding to the most fatal example of the abuses of grief which the history of mankind has preserved, the cross. Consider what calamities that engine of grief has produced. John Adams' Letter to Thomas Jefferson. The priesthood have, in all ancient nations, nearly monopolized learning, and even since the Reformation, when and where has existed a Protestant or dissenting sect who would tolerate a free inquiry, the blackest Billingsgate, the most ungentlemanly insolence, the most yahooish brutality is patiently endured, continenced, propagated, and applauded, but touch a solemn truth in collision with a dogma of a sect, Though capable of the clearest proof, and you will soon find you have disturbed a nest, and the hornets will swarm about your legs and hands, and fly into your face and eyes. John Adams' Letter to John Taylor, 1814 Quoted in Norman Cousins' In God We Trust, The Religious Beliefs and Ideas of the American Founding Fathers, 1958 the Church of Rome has made it an article of faith that no man can be saved out of their church, and all other religious sects approach this dreadful opinion in proportion to their ignorance, and the influence of ignorant or wicked priests. From the Diary and Autobiography of John Adams. What havoc has been made of books through every century of the Christian era? Where are fifty gospels condemned as spurious by the bull of Pope Galatius? Where are 40 wagon loads of Hebrew manuscripts burned in France by order of another pope? Because of suspected heresy, remember the index expurgatorius, the inquisition, the stake, the axe, the halter, and the guillotine. And oh horrible the rack, this is as bad if not worse than a slow fire. Nor should the lion's mouth be forgotten. Have you considered that system of holy lies and pious frauds that had raged and triumphed for 1,500 years? John Adams' Letter to John Taylor, 1814 
God is an essence that we know nothing of. Until this awful blasphemy is got rid of, there will never be any liberal science in the world. John Adams. This awful blasphemy, he refers to, is the myth of the incarnation of Christ. From Ira D. Cardiff, What Great Men Think of Religion, quoted from James A. Hott, edition 2000, Years of Disbelief. Let the human mind loose. It must be loose. It will be loose. Superstition and dogmatism cannot confine it. John Adams, letter to his son, John Quincy Adams, November 13th, 1816. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States and the main author of the Declaration of Independence, was a strong deist who had lost faith in traditional Christianity and its supernatural claims. Famously, he crafted what has come to be known as the Jefferson Bible, also known by the title, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, by excising most of the miracles and the supernatural aspects, leaving the reader with little more than a collection of the wise sayings and moral teachings of Jesus. I am for freedom of religion and against all maneuvers to bring about a legal ascendancy of one sect over another. Thomas Jefferson, Letter to Elbridge Gerry, 1799. In every country and every age, the priest has been hostile to liberty. They have perverted the purest religion ever preached to man into mystery and jargon, unintelligible to all mankind, and therefore the safer for their purposes. Thomas Jefferson to Horatio Spafford, 1814. Talk of immaterial existences is to talk of nothings. At what age of the Christian church this heresy of immaterialism, this masked atheism crept in, I do not know. But a heresy it certainly is. Jesus taught nothing of it. He told us indeed that God is a spirit, but he has not defined what a spirit is, nor said that it is not matter. And the ancient fathers generally, if not universally, held it to be matter, light and thin indeed, an ethereal gas but still matter. Thomas Jefferson in a letter to John Adams. The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by a supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Thomas Jefferson in a letter to John Adams. The common law existed while the Anglo-Saxons were yet pagans, at a time when they had never yet heard the name of Christ pronounced, or knew that such a character existed. Thomas Jefferson, Letter to Major John Cartwright, June 5, 1824. Christianity neither is nor ever was a part of the common law. Thomas Jefferson, Letter to Dr. Thomas Cooper, February 10, 1814. Responding to the claim that Christianity was part of the common law of England, as the United States Constitution defaults to the common law regarding matters that it does not address. For we know that the common law is that system of law which was introduced by the Saxons on their settlement of England, and altered from time to time by proper legislative authority, from that time to the date of the Magna Carta, which terminates the period of common law. This settlement took place about the middle of the 5th century, but Christianity was not introduced till the 7th century. The conversion of the first Christian king of the Heptarchy, having taken place about the year 598, and that of the last about 686. Here then was a space of 200 years during which common law was in existence and Christianity no part of it. That system of religion could not be a part of the common law because they were not yet Christians. Thomas Jefferson, letter to Dr. Thomas Cooper, February 10, 1814. The clergy, by getting themselves established by law and engrafted into the machine of government, 
have been a very formidable engine against the civil and religious rights of man. Thomas Jefferson to Jeremiah Moore, 1800. To compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. Thomas Jefferson, Statute for Religious Freedom, 1779. Ethan Allen was a patriot of the Revolutionary War who is famous for his part in the capture of Fort Ticonderoga. He was also a farmer, philosopher, and one of the founders of the state of Vermont. In those parts of the world where learning and science have prevailed, miracles have ceased. But in those parts of it, as are barbarous and ignorant, miracles are still in vogue. Ethan Allen, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man, Pamphlet, 1784. I have generally been denominated a deist, the reality of which I never disputed, being conscious I am no Christian, except mere infant baptism makes me one. And as to being a deist, I know not strictly speaking whether I am one or not. Ethan Allen, Preface, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. There is not anything which has contributed so much to delude mankind in religious matters as mistaken apprehensions concerning supernatural inspiration or revelation, not considering that all true religion originates from reason and cannot otherwise be understood, but by the exercise and improvement of it. Ethan Allen, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. The doctrine of the Trinity is destitute of foundation and tends manifestly to superstition and idolatry. Ethan Allen, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. That Jesus Christ was not a God is evident from his own words, where, speaking on the day of judgment, he says, Of that day and hour knowest no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son. This is giving up all pretension to divinity, acknowledging in the most explicit manner that he did not know all things. Ethan Allen reasoned the only oracle of man. They are blind with respect to their own superstition, yet they can perceive and despise it in others. Protestants very readily discern and expose the weak side of popery, and papists are as ready and acute in discovering the errors of heretics. Ethan Allen reasoned the only oracle of man. Thomas Paine was a writer, philosopher, and activist who authored influential pamphlets at the start of the American Revolution, which helped inspire America's rebels to throw off the English yoke and declare independence. I do not believe in the creed professed by the Jewish Church, by the Roman Church, by the Greek Church, by the Turkish Church, by the Protestant Church, nor by any church that I know of. My own mind is my own church. All national institutions of churches, whether Jewish, Christian, or Turkish, appear to me no other than human inventions set up to terrify and enslave mankind and monopolize power and profit. The opinions I have advanced are the effect of the most clear and long-established conviction that the Bible and the Testament are impositions upon the world. That the fall of man, the account of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and of his dying to appease the wrath of God and of salvation by that strange means, are all fabulous inventions, dishonorable to the wisdom and the power of the Almighty. That the only true religion is deism, by which I then meant and mean now the belief of one God and an imitation of his moral character or practice of what are called moral virtues and that it was upon this only, so far as religion is concerned, that I rested all my hopes and happiness hereafter. So say I now, and so help me God. It is necessary to the happiness of man that he be mentally faithful to himself, 
Infidelity does not consist in believing or in disbelieving. It consists in professing to believe what one does not believe. It is impossible to calculate the moral mischief, if I may so express it, that mental lying has produced in society, when man has so far corrupted and prostituted the chastity of his mind as to subscribe his professional belief to things he does not believe, he has prepared himself for the commission of every other crime. Thomas Paine, The Age of Reason. Take away from Genesis the belief that Moses was the author on which only the strange belief that it is the word of God has stood, and there remains nothing of Genesis but an anonymous book of stories, fables, and traditionary or invented absurdities, or of downright lies. The story of Eve and the serpent, and of Noah and his ark, drops to a level with the Arabian tales, without the merit of being entertaining. And the account of men living to eight, nine hundred years becomes as fabulous as the immortality of the giants of the mythology. The Bible is a book that has been read more and examined less than any other book that ever existed. The Theological Works of Thomas Paine Accustom a people to believe that priests or any other class of men can forgive sins and you will have sins in abundance. The Theological Works of Thomas Paine, page 207 the declaration which says that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the children is contrary to every principle of moral justice. Thomas Paine, The Age of Reason. Whenever we read the obscene stories, the voluptuous debaucheries, the cruel and torturous executions, the unrelenting vindictiveness with which more than half the Bible is filled, it would be more consistent that we call it the word of a demon than the word of God. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and brutalize mankind. And for my part, I sincerely detest it, as I detest everything that is cruel. Thomas Paine, The Age of Reason. The story of Jesus Christ appearing after he was dead is the story of an apparition, such as timid imaginations can always create and vision, and the credulity believe. Stories of this kind have been told of the assassination of Julius Caesar. There is scarcely any part of science or anything in nature which those impostors and blasphemers of science called priests, as well as Christians as Jews, have not at some time or other perverted or sought to pervert to the purposes of superstition and falsehood. Had the news of salvation by Jesus Christ been inscribed on the face of the sun and the moon in characters that all nations would have understood, the whole earth had known it in 24 hours, and all nations would have believed it. Whereas though it is now almost 2,000 years since, and as they tell us Christ came upon earth, not a twentieth part of the people of the earth know anything of it, and among those who do, the wiser part do not believe it. All the tales of miracles with which the Old and New Testament are filled are fit only for impostors to preach and fools to believe. The church was resolved to have a New Testament, and as, after the lapse of more than 300 years, no handwriting could be proved or disproved, the church, which like former impostors had then gotten possession of the state, had everything its own way. It invented creeds such as that called the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and out of the loads of rubbish that were presented it, voted four to be Gospels and others to be Epistles, as we now find them arranged. The story of the redemption will not stand examination. That man should redeem himself from the sin of eating an apple by committing a murder on Jesus Christ is the strangest system of religion ever set up. Of all the tyrannies that afflict mankind, tyranny in religion is the worst. 
Every other species of tyranny is limited to the world we live in, but this attempts to stride beyond the grave and seeks to pursue us into eternity. Thomas Paine, as quoted by Joseph Lewis in Inspiration and Wisdom from the Writings of Thomas Paine. James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, seems to have had little interest in religion, but like other founding fathers, may have been influenced by deism. Ecclesiastical establishments tend to great ignorance and corruption, all of which facilitate the execution of mischievous projects. James Madison, letter to William Bradford Jr., January 1774. The purpose of separation of church and state is to keep forever from these shores the ceaseless strife that has soaked the soil of Europe in blood for centuries. James Madison, 1803. Strongly guarded as is the separation between religion and government in the Constitution of the United States, the danger of encroachment by ecclesiastical bodies may be illustrated by precedents already furnished in their short history. James Madison, Detached Memoranda, 1820. Religious bondage shackles and debilitates the mind and unfits it for every noble enterprise. James Madison, in a letter to William Bradford, April 1st, 1774, as quoted by Edwin S. Gostad, Faith of Our Fathers, Religion in the New Nation. Benjamin Franklin, sometimes referred to as the first American, was a renowned polymath, a printer, scientist, statesman, writer, inventor. In an autobiography, Franklin declared himself a deist, but also still considered himself a Christian, and came from a Puritan background, and was even friends with renowned Puritan preacher Cotton Mather. As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, is the best the world ever saw, or is likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupt changes. And I have, with most of the present dissenters in England, some doubts as to his divinity. Though it is a question I do not dogmatize upon, having never studied it, and I think it needless to busy myself with it now when I expect soon an opportunity of knowing the truth with less trouble. I see no harm, however, in its being believed, if that belief has the good consequence, as it probably has, of making his doctrine more respected and better observed, especially as I do not perceive that the Supreme takes it amiss by distinguishing unbelievers in his government of the world with any particular marks of his displeasure. Benjamin Franklin, 1790, in a letter to Ezra Stiles. I think vital religion has always suffered when orthodoxy is more regarded than virtue. The scriptures assure me that at the last day we shall not be examined on what we thought, but what we did. Benjamin Franklin, letter to his father, 1738. I cannot conceive otherwise than that he, the infinite father, expects or requires no worship or praise from us, but that he is even infinitely above it. Benjamin Franklin, from Articles of Belief and Acts of Religion, November 20th, 1728. My parents had early given me religious impressions and brought me through my childhood piously in the dissenting Puritan way, 
but I was scarce fifteen when, after doubting by turns of several points, as I found them disputed in different books I read, I began to doubt of revelation itself. Some books against deism fell into my hands. They were said to be the substance of sermons preached at Boyle's lectures. It happened that they wrought an effect on me quite contrary to what was intended by them. For the arguments of Deus, which were quoted to be refuted, appeared to me much stronger than the refutations. In short, I soon became a thorough deist. Benjamin Franklin, Autobiography Thank you for listening to this special episode of The Week in Doubt.